course, Carrie. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for this opportunity that we have this morning, Father. May we not take it for granted. There are so many around the world that don't have this opportunity, Lord. Father, I do pray that you would strengthen your church this morning and strengthen the persecuted church, Lord. And Father, that you would remind them, Father, of what they are sacrificing for, Father, for because your son gave the ultimate sacrifice. And Father, I just pray as we just partake of your word this morning, Lord, that we would uh, respond quickly, Father, and that we would be um, just be led by obedience, Father. And we thank you, Father, that um, we love you because you first loved us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
It's my pleasure to love you, Lord. It's my pleasure to glorify you, Lord. It's my pleasure.
you would give us a heart of worship. Lord, let our lives have this treasure in earth and vessels. That the excellency of the power may be of God on us. Lord, give us a heart like David, who is known as, as a man after God's own heart. Who stated in Psalms 42, as the deer pants for the water. So pants my soul after you, God. Thirst for you, Jesus.
Father, we thank you, Lord God. For truly you are great, Father. There is no one else like you, God. For you alone are worthy, Lord Jesus. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are our hope, our deliverer, our salvation. So, Father, may we fix our eyes upon you. Not looking to the left or to the right or even behind. But, God, may we set our gaze upon you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, you have begun a work in us, Lord. And you are faithful to complete it. I thank you, my God, that you are pleased to reveal yourself to us through your son, Jesus. I thank you it's nothing that we can do or accomplish, but it's all been accomplished and done through Christ. So, Father, I pray that we would have ears to hear today. I pray, Holy Spirit, that our hearts would be ready to receive your word. God, that it would go down deep, take root, and produce lasting fruit in our lives. We thank you, Father, that we can gather today, collectively, Lord, to come to sit at your feet, to open your word. May you bless it, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Genesis chapter 44 is where we're heading today. We're going to read chapter 44 and 45 in Genesis. We left off the last time we were reading and studying the life of Joseph and his brothers. We left off with them having a feast, if you would, a banquet, you know, and Joseph had them all together. In the last part of chapter 43, verse 33, Joseph told each of his brothers where to sit, and to their amazement, he seated them according to age, from oldest to youngest. And Joseph filled their plates with food from his own table, giving Benjamin five times as much as he gave the others. So they feasted and drank freely with him. They still do not know that Joseph is their brother. We pick up today, verse 1 of chapter 44. When his brothers were ready to leave, Joseph gave these instructions to his palace manager. Fill each of their sacks with as much grain as they can carry and put each man's money back into his sack. Then put my personal silver cup at the top of the youngest brother's sack along with the money for his grain. So the manager did as Joseph instructed him. The brothers were up at dawn and were sent on their journey with their loaded donkeys. But when they had gone only a short distance and were barely out of the city, Joseph said to his palace manager, chase after them and stop them. When you catch up with them, Ask them, why have you repaid my kindness with such evil? Why have you stolen my master's silver cup, which he uses to predict the future? What a wicked thing you have done. 
Now, as we have been reading through and, and seeing the encounters that Joseph is having with his brothers, his brothers not knowing that it's him, because remember, years ago, they hated Joseph. There was a lot of family drama. They hated Joseph because he was the favorite. And Joseph was having dreams. And he would tell his brothers, I'm having dreams that one day you're going to bow down before me. He told his father, I'm having dreams you, that you, dad, and my brothers are going to bow down before me. And it angered his brothers. And so when they had an opportunity, they got rid of him. They sold him off as a slave. They went back to the father and made believe that he was attacked by wild animals because they dipped his coat in blood and ripped it apart. So when the father seen it, he thinks the son is dead. And Joseph's life, after being sold into slavery, he didn't grow bitter. And this is what I'm hoping that we would be encouraged in the life of Joseph. He didn't complain. He didn't murmur. He didn't fault fine. No, he remained true to his God. He trusted God. Ultimately, he trusted God. And so my question for us today, are you trusting God with what you're facing? Are you trusting him? It's good that we can say words and yes, you know, and yada, 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 whatever. Yeah, God's good, God's good. But do we really believe it? Do you know your God? Know him enough that you live for him. Because remember God's plan and purpose, you all, is that he will have a people who will call his own, that he will call his own, and in return they will call him their God, that they will live right. Not in their own strength, because we all know in and of ourselves we will not live right. We will live out of that sin nature. We will live in rebellion towards Him if we continue to go our way. But there's something beautiful when Jesus steps into our life, when God is pleased to reveal Himself to us through His Son Jesus, that we recognize that we're sinners, that we recognize that all we know to do is to rebel and just be about me, myself, and I. But when Jesus steps in, we see our need for a Savior, we humble ourselves. The Bible gives us this understanding, as Jesus says, you're born again, of a different nature now. So we're to be living differently. We're to be walking differently. We're to be talking differently. And it's a process of sanctification. It's a process of maturing. It's a process of seeking Him. And I want to encourage us, as we're studying through the Bible, in the days of wickedness that we've seen for generations to generations to generation, and the world is going to get even more wicked and vile and darkened. And men are going to become more and more lovers of themselves, seeking just what they want out of life. Destruction, mayhem, murder, lust, you name it. All of that stuff that is coming from the sin nature is going to grow rapidly. But God has a plan. And every generation, God has his people, the righteous remnant that lives for him. 
that will not go their way any longer, but go his way. There's something about it when you get a report from a doctor that you possibly could have cancer. As I'm sitting there at my doctor on Thursday and the report is you possibly could have brain cancer, Rob. A tumor on the brain. I said, Jesus. It's like every other something, every other month, a doctor's proclaiming something over me. But as you walk away and as I go through the MRI test and as I'm laying there, as I'm going through the weekend and I'm just thinking, God, how awesome are you? Rather I have it or I don't, you're still God. You're still God. And I pray that I wouldn't waste the days of my life on myself. But that God, that I would spend the rest of my days of my life, whatever the length is, just pleasing you. Just serving you. When I think about who I used to be, and the darkness I used to live in. I'm not perfect. But I'm no longer that man. Like when I think of the darkness and of the brokenness and of the woundedness and of, of just the filth. And I see who God is. I go, God, you're so awesome. Like, come on, you all. If you truly know him. How can we keep living denying him? Like he's God. He loves us with an everlasting love. He chases after us. He is constantly getting before us. He is constantly revealing himself to us. Come this way. Come out of the darkness. Come into my light. And yet the world... And those who remain bound and slave to their sinful nature want nothing to do with God. They want to continue to go their way. But God still pursues them. God still pursues us. And I go, wow. To live a life honoring God. To start making different decisions. See, it's all about choices, you all. Like when I gave my life to Christ, I didn't know how to live for God. All I knew was what I did. But when I saw in God's word that he transforms us, like God, who am I now? Like when I first gave my life to Christ, that was my question. That if I don't do this any longer, and I don't do that any longer, and I don't want to like this any longer, then what do I do? How do I live? And when I saw the scripture that says he transforms us by the renewing of our mind, by changing the way we think, I used to go this direction, but now I go this direction. I used to want to touch this, but now I long to have this. I used to speak this way, but now I'm learning to hold my tongue. Like it's a totally different way honoring God it's choosing him it's what the Bible says the cost of a disciple if you're going to follow Jesus you must deny yourself you must 
Pick up your cross daily and follow him. He tells you, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've already overcome the world. That's amazing. That's such good news. Like I've already overcome the world, no matter what you're going to face, no matter what you're going through, I am with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Like he's with us. God with us. Emmanuel. God with us. Like he loves us, you all. So why would we choose his wrath and not his love? Why would we choose it? For temporalness of life. Because we just keep going around and around and around and around and around doing the same thing over and over and over and we're accomplishing nothing. We just keep destroying ourselves. God has so much more for us, you all. God has so much more for us if we would just trust Him. Like, God, here's my life. I've made a mess of it. Like, when I finally got to that place, God, I've made a mess. Oh, God, I need you. And the crazy thing is I wasn't even looking for God. The majority of us, the majority of us aren't. We're content in our filth. But God steps in. Here I am. I am God. I am love. I am wholeness. I am peace. In the midst of chaos, I am your comforter. I am your guide. I will make every crooked path straight. Trust me. It's a relationship, you all. He's not a genie. He doesn't go, everything's perfect for you. We demand so much of him, and yet we give so little of us. And that's not Christianity. Like he calls us. That's one thing I love about Jesus. Is that what he calls us to, he went before us. He doesn't call, calls us, he doesn't call us to a life that he hasn't experienced. That's why he came in the flesh. And that's why with confidence he could say, come, follow me. Come. Follow me. I'm going to show you the way to life. Joseph, you all. If anyone had a right to complain and to murmur and to hate his life, it should have been Joseph. But we don't see that in his life. He was sold into slavery. And even though he was sold into slavery, even though everything was against him, he was promoted. Remember? Potiphar's house. He was taking care of business. But Joseph had something against him. He was good looking. A strong, handsome man. And Potiphar's wife wanted to have sex with him. And she kept luring him to come sleep with her. And a godly man, he does the right thing. No. I'm not giving myself to you. So one day, when he was in the house and she was in the house, as you'll remember, she approached him again. This time he takes off running, but she kept his coat. 
and she screams rape. She accused him of raping her or trying to rape her. And now he's thrown into prison. And now he's stuck in prison. He could have complained. He could have gotten angry. But no, what does he do? He serves even in prison. And now he's beginning to take care of the other prisoners. The, the guards are entrusting him with responsibility. Listen, you all, I encourage us as Christians, we ought to be good workers. Companies should want to hire us. We are to be faithful, on time, present, working hard, serving diligently, being the last ones to leave, not to promote us, but to promote the one whom we're serving. Because the Word of God says, work as unto the Lord, not as unto man. Serve as you're serving Christ. Honor Him in all that you do. And Joseph was honoring God. Then he had this encounter with the cupbearer and the baker. He interpreted their dreams. And God was giving him the interpretation. And then he was brought before Pharaoh to interpret Pharaoh's dream. Giving God the credit and the glory. None of himself. And Pharaoh promoted Joseph. Making him second in charge. He has position, he has power now. And it all was God's plan. It was God's plan to allow Joseph to endure what he endured. From the pit to the palace, it was God's plan. Not just to save Joseph, but his family. God's plan. And now we see that God's plan and purpose coming to pass through this famine that is wiping out and spreading across the lands. Egypt, because Joseph's interpretation of the dream has stored up food. He's in charge now. His brothers come looking for food for the family, having no clue that this is Joseph that they're talking to. Now they're being sent back to their home and now they're caught again with extra stuff that they shouldn't have with them. And then we see that Joseph tells his, his, his people that when you catch up with him, say this. And don't get confused because Joseph tells them, let me see if I can find it. Verse 4, but when they had gone only a short distance and were barely out of the city, Joseph said to his palace manager, chase after them and stop them. When you catch up with them, ask them, why have you repaid my kindness with such evil? Why have you stolen my master's silver cup 
which he uses to predict the future. What a wicked thing you have done here. That's just a ruse. That's just a, that's just a if you would, a, a, just like putting the stuff in their sack, just like adding extra stuff. Joseph does not use witchcraft. He doesn't use, he doesn't depend on the spirits. Joseph's life is all about God. And so when you read that, you know, I was reading different commentaries, you know, there's been a lot of speculation of why would they say this type of wording? Well, Egypt was known for all of their, if you would, witchcraft. All of their new age practices. So to take someone's silver cup that is used to predict the future is huge crime against the individual. Because you basically strip them and rob the person that you robbed from their power. And so again, it, it's not that he was using it. It was just a statement that was stated to, so that the brothers would understand the severity of what would be found among them. So when the palace manager caught up with the men, he spoke to them as he had been instructed. What are you talking about? The brothers responded. We are your servants and would never do such a thing. Didn't we return the money we found in our sacks? We brought it back all the way from the land of Canaan. Why would we steal silver or gold from our master's house? If you find his cup with any one of us, let that man die. And all the rest of us, my Lord, will be your slaves. That's fair, the man replied. But only the one who stole the cup will be my slave. The rest of you may go free. They all quickly took their sacks from their backs of their donkeys and opened them. The palace manager searched the brother's sacks from the oldest to the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. When the brothers saw this, they tore their clothing in despair. Then they loaded their donkeys again and returned to the city. Joseph was still in his palace with Judah and when Judah and his brothers arrived, and they fell to the ground before him. What have you done? Joseph demanded. Don't you know that I'm a man like that a man like me can predict the future? And Judah answered, Oh my Lord, what can we say to you? How can we explain this? How can we prove our innocence? God is punishing us for our sins, my Lord. We, all, we have all returned to, you, to be your slaves, all of us, not just our brother who had your cup in his sack. No, Joseph said, I would never do such a thing. Only the man who stole the cup will be my slave. The rest of you may go back to your father in peace. Then Judah stepped forward and said, Please, my Lord, let your servant say just one word to you. Please do not be angry with me, even though you are as powerful as Pharaoh himself. My Lord, previously you asked us, your servants, do you have a father or a brother? And we responded, yes, my Lord, we have a father who is an old man, and his youngest son is a child of his old age. His full brother is dead, 
<coughs> and he alone is left of his mother's children. And his father loves him very much. And you said to us, bring him here so I can see him with my own eyes. But we said to you, my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father for his father would die. But you told us, unless your youngest brother comes with you, you will never see my face again. So we returned to your servant, our father, and told him what you had said. Listen, I'm sorry, later when he said, go back and buy us more food, we replied, we can't go unless you let our youngest brother go with us. We'll never get to see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then my father said to us, As you know, my wife had two sons, and one of them went away and never returned. Doubtless he was torn to pieces by some wild animals. I have never seen him since. Now if you take his brother away from me and any harm comes to him, you will send this grieving white-haired man to his grave. And now, my Lord, I cannot go back to my father without the boy. If he sees that the boy is not with us, our father will die. We, your servants, will indeed be responsible for sending that grieving white-haired man to his grave. My Lord, I guarantee to my father that I would take care of the boy. I told him, if I, if I don't bring him back to you, I will bear the blame forever. So please, my Lord, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy. And that the boy return with his brothers. For how can I return to my father if the boy is not with me? I couldn't bear to see the anguish this would cause my father. <laughs> wow. What a beautiful picture of intercession. Of, of stepping in. Of coming into the gap for another. And not only that. Don't we see the change of heart of the brothers? Yeah. These, one, these men who were once filled with such hatred and jealousy, there's a change within them over the years. Though no longer filled with anger and jealousy. I'm sure the guilt has plagued them throughout the years. And now they have a younger brother that they care for. They know what the young, younger brother means to their father. And so Judah's like, I'll give my life for his. What a beautiful picture of Jesus. The one who intercedes for us before the father. Like he came and gave his life up for us. Like he took our punishment that was due to us. He willingly gave himself. Wow. No greater love will ever be displayed than what Christ Jesus did for each of us. That he willingly laid his life down for you, for me. Such great love. And here's Judah. I please. Please. Take me. And what a beautiful pleading. Uh, so passionate. So genuine. So humble. Chapter 45. Joseph 
could stand it no longer. And as we know, Joseph was putting his brothers through these trials and these tests so that their hearts would be revealed. Are they changed men or are they the same guys? And we understand that the Bible says that trials will come towards us. But they're there to produce something within us. Perseverance. To build our character. And to give us hope in Jesus. And the Bible says that hope in Jesus will never disappoint us. So as Christians, we need to understand this. Trials come, but they're not there to conquer us. They're not there to defeat us. They are if we choose to think the way we thought before Christ. To act as of our own Lord. To go about our own ways, manipulating, plotting, planning, conniving, scheming, murdering, backbiting, you know, gossiping, all the stuff that we do that comes natural to our own selves. But when we put that aside and say, I'm not going to live no longer in the flesh, I'm going to walk by the Spirit. I'm going to trust in Jesus. I'm going to trust in the one who has called me his own. I'm going to act differently. I'm going to live differently. I'm going to think differently. I'm going to choose the way of wisdom. I'm going to choose the way of life. I'm not going to choose the way of death. I'm not going to keep putting my hands towards it. I'm not going to keep allowing my mind to think upon it. No, I'm going to go a different direction. Even though it may look weird to everyone else, even though no one else may understand it, I'm going the way of Jesus. Because that's the only way of, towards life. So Joseph was putting his brothers to the test. Are they the same men? Or has there been a transformation? There's a transformation that should take place in us as Christians. And if you're not transforming, you're not a Christian. It should be evident within your life. Not your perfection. You're not trying to be perfect. But you are living differently. You're maturing differently. Trials come and it shows you what's still in your heart. Trials come and it shows you What's the first thing you think of when things press up against you? I love that Jewish proverb that you've heard me talk about before. When a disciple comes to the teacher and says, Teacher, I want to know more about God. And so the teacher grabs the disciple and takes him and puts his head under the water and holds him under the water while the guy, the student, is struggling. To the point of drowning, the teacher pulls up the disciple and says, Tell me what the first thing was that you thought of. And the disciple, the student, says, I just wanted air. And then the teacher looked at the disciple and says, Go away and come back, and the first thing you think of that you want is God. Is God the first one you turn to? He should be. Seek him, the Bible says, and he will be found if you seek him with your whole heart. Not a divided heart. Not I'm in a little bit for God today, but then I'm out of God tomorrow. I'm in God for a minute now, but my life goes, falls apart, and now I'm out of God. No, that's not how it works. Like, you're in God. You're in Christ, that's what the Bible says. You're in Christ. He is your God. He is your Lord. So live as such. 
and enjoy it. So when trials come, you know that they're there for a reason. God, you're drawing me closer to you through this. Reveal to me my heart, God. I'm not going to turn from you, God. No, reveal it to me so I know how to repent, so I know how to go differently. I want to go differently. I want to live differently. And that's why you need to be discipled. You come to Christ, you need to be discipled. You need to know how are you to live now. You need to gain the wisdom and the knowledge of how to keep walking forward. And trials come. They're not there to stop you. Trials come to promote you. To persevere. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't turn back to your old ways. No, keep going forward. And in going forward, it's going to build a character in you. That's why the Bible says, if you were a thief, stop stealing. Now work hard and give to, give to the needy. It's that transformation. If you're lazy, start being a hard worker. If you're foul mouth, start allowing the words coming out of your mouth to build up. Start doing things differently. Because that's the good news of the gospel. That's the hope and the freedom that we have in Christ that we do not have to be a slave to sin any longer. Joseph put his brothers to the test and he realized they're changed men. He's listening to Judah who once hated him and despised him. Judah hated Joseph. He was jealous of his brother. He wanted his brother dead and now he doesn't know it's Joseph that he's talking to but now here's Judah so humble, filled with compassion. He's a changed man, and Joseph, Joseph has had enough. It says here he couldn't take it any longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, Out all of you! So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. I could not even imagine what it would have been like to be them in that room. <laughs> Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians could hear him. And word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer, and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset. Listen to this, y'all, if you hear anything today. Don't be upset, and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your life. It was God who sent me here. It was God who allowed me to go through what I went through to get me to where he wanted me to be. Joseph was sold into slavery, you all. He was put in prison and accused of raping someone, you all. He lived a hard life. 
His circumstances never seemed to work out for him. It looked like everything in life was against him. And yet, you all, he trusted God. He didn't get angry. He didn't get bitter. He didn't murmur and complain and go about his own way. No, he trusted God. And at the right time, at the right moment, at the right opportunity that God had established, boom, Joseph received what God had for him all along. Listen, sometimes you all, we have to learn how to wait. Even in the midst of everything that doesn't seem fair, even when life is beating us down, we have to learn to wait upon the Lord. We have to stop looking at others as our enemies and blaming others. Joseph wasn't blaming his brothers. He, in fact, tells them, don't be upset with what you've done. God. God allowed this. That even shows you that Joseph wasn't harboring unforgiveness. He recognized the authority in which God has. God's divine plan. And yes, in his divine plan... There will be obstacles that come in your way. Do you trust him enough to see you through it? Do you trust him enough? Well, you don't know what my daddy did. You don't know what my mama did. You don't know what my life was like. You don't know this. You don't know that. But I know God. I may not need to hear your whole story. Because I can tell you of the one that writes our story. And if we would just trust him, if we would just seek him, if we, as Joseph, would be able to say, it's not you who did this to me. God had a plan. And God has seen me through. Joseph was at a place where he was able to declare this. It wasn't some good, come, new age type feeling speak. No, it was genuine reality. My God. My God. Wow. Some of us need to release people that have hurt us. Some of us need to stop allowing ourselves to continue to be their victim. Sometimes you just gotta let it go. I was thinking about that this week. I was having a weird day, Friday. I was thinking about all the abuse that I endured, sexually, emotionally, physically. Since a young kid. But I said, God, I thank you that I'm not the guy who keeps making decisions from that abuse mentality, that victim mentality. That God, that you have renewed my mind, that you have healed my heart. That I can think differently. That I can act differently. That I can love genuinely. I said, wow, God. I don't want to, I don't, I'm so grateful 
but I'm still not in that place. And it took years to walk through that healing. Only God can do. Only God. Because I allowed him to change the way I think. I don't want to continue to be a victim. So help my mind, God. Help my heart. I don't want to, I don't, because the more I think of them, the more I allow it to incite whatever within me or to build up within me, the more that they are still my predators. They're still the ones that harm me. I still give them the credit for my life the way it is. And I don't want to do that anymore. Like if I belong to you and you say, peace I give you, peace I leave with you, that wholeness, nothing missing, nothing broken, then that's what I want to believe every day I get up. That I am whole now. That I'm not broken inside. That I don't have to live off my insecurities. That I don't have to hurt other people because I'm hurting. That I don't have just to react because I'm just so full of anger and hurt. And no one understands me. And if this could have been different, if that could have been different, if this would have just been done for me, y'all hear that talk but oh when you set your eyes on Jesus the one who begins this work in us the author and the finisher of our faith we like Joseph can begin to declare no 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 don't be upset and it doesn't dismiss what people have done to us you all it doesn't be like oh it doesn't matter no it did it hurt Joseph. He was isolated. He was alone. But his hurt and his pain didn't define him. He chose in the midst of it to live right. And that's what I want to encourage us in today. Choose to live right in the midst of your chaos. Choose to do right. Even if it looks wrong to do right, do right. Because the Bible is very clear. If you do what is right, will you not be rewarded? Sin is crouching at your door and its desire is to master you. But you must master it. Joseph tells his brother. They were stunned. Verse 5. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace, and the governor of all Egypt. Now, hurry back to my father and tell him, this is what your son Joseph says, God has made me master over all the land of Egypt, so come down to me immediately. You can live in the region of Goshen, where you can be, I'm sorry, where you can be near me with all your children and grandchildren your flocks and your herds, and everything you own. I will take care of you there, for there are still five years of famine ahead of us. Otherwise, you and your household and all your animals will starve. And then Joseph added, Look, 
you can see for yourself, and, and so can my brother Benjamin, that I am really Joseph. Go tell my father of my honored position here in Egypt. Just describe for him everything you have seen, and then bring my father here quickly. Weeping for joy, or with joy, he embraced Benjamin, and Benjamin did the same. Then Joseph, Joseph kissed each one of his brothers and wept over them, and after that they began talking freely to him. Wow. What a beautiful picture of reconciliation. God reconciled. He brings people back to himself and back to each other. Holdness, healing, family. And look how families are being destroyed today. Look how the family unit is just being ravaged with filth and junk. But our God is a God that restores. He's a God who redeems. He's a God who reconciles. We need to trust in this. We need to trust in him. And I love the fact that Joseph in himself is not even boasting. I told you all y'all were going to bow before me. I told you this was going to happen. He doesn't. He is filled with joy. Like, I have my family back. Hurry, bring my father to me. Like, God did this to preserve us. God did this for us. Oh, wow, you all. The news soon reached Pharaoh's palace. Joseph's brothers have arrived. Pharaoh and his officials were all delighted to hear this. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Tell your brothers, this is what you must do. Load your pack animals and hurry back to the land of Canaan. Then get your father and all of your families and return here to me. I will give you the very best land in Egypt, and you will eat from the best of that the land produces. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Tell your brothers, take wagons from the land of Egypt to carry your little children and your wives and bring your father here. Don't worry about your personal belongings, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. So the sons of Jacob did as they were told. <coughs> Joseph provided them with wagons as Pharaoh had commanded, and he gave them supplies for the journey. And he gave each of them new clothes. But to Benjamin he gave five changes of clothes, and 300 pieces of silver. He also sent his father 10 male donkeys loaded with the finest pro products of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other supplies he would need on his journey. So Joseph sent his brothers off and they left. He called after them. Don't quarrel about this along the way. How about that, y'all? Listen. Go, gather up your families, gather up dad. But listen, you all, don't quarrel about any of this along your way. It's a new day. We're together again. Don't think about the past. Don't discuss it. Don't try to reconcile it in your mind, because none of it will make sense. Don't even consider your actions. Don't even think about it. Don't even quarrel about it. Just go. Move forward. Embrace what is happening in that moment. And allow it to continue. There's something about looking back, you all. There's something about trying to, to figure things out. There's something about when you look back and you keep blaming everyone. You're not progressing forward because you keep looking back. 
You're not getting any wiser. You're not growing in righteousness. You're not changing because you're quarreling over the past events. Stop looking back. Stop quarreling over it. Move forward. Even if everyone else wants to stay back there stuck, you keep going forward. And pray for them. That they would choose to go forward with you. There's something beautiful here, you all, that we can't miss. We can't miss it. There's something so beautiful here. Just go forward. Go and do what is right. And they left Egypt and returned to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. Joseph is still alive, they told him. He is governor of all the land of Egypt. Jacob was stunned at the news. He couldn't believe it. But when they repeated to Jacob everything Joseph had told him, and when he saw the wagons Joseph had sent to carry him, their father's spirit was revived. Talking about years of wait. I'm sure depression. I'm sure just so sad at the loss of his son. And now to hear, it's like breathing life into this old man. Then Jacob exclaimed, It must be true. My son Joseph is alive. I must go and see him before I die. Wow. I don't know about you all, but these two chapters are absolutely beautiful. There's so much that you could take out of it. There's such many, so many lessons that we can learn. So I would encourage you, go back, read through them. Be encouraged, you all. Go to Matthew chapter 14. Verse 13 through 36. Matthew 14. We left off the last time we did our study walking through the Bible where John the Baptist being beheaded. It says here in verse 13, As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. And Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. And he had compassion on them and healed their sick. I would encourage you to underline and circle those words. He had compassion on them. And he healed the sick. He served them. I want to challenge us as Christians. How are we? Jesus just received some devastating news. He went to be alone. The crowds followed him. And instead of him saying, I need my space. <laughs> he looked upon them and saw their need and he had compassion on them. And he served them. That's such a great lesson for us to learn. 
Now there is times that we do need to be alone and to be still and to be refreshed. But even then we got to make sure we're using wisdom and that's God leading us to that. But here's a beautiful example of how to overcome discouragement. And I'm not saying Jesus was discouraged. But he had, he wanted to go to be alone. I'm sure to pray. But this is such a great lesson for us. That even in the midst of our need, the best way to respond is to serve others. To have compassion on others. To keep our Father's will before us. See, Jesus is our example. And he came to do the will of the Father. And so each and every single day, you get up and go through your day, that is your purpose. To do the will of your Father. Jesus was moved with compassion. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place. And it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, that isn't necessary. You feed them. Interesting. We, we just saw Jesus have compassion and serve. But now the disciples' response is send them away so they can do for themselves. And Jesus like, no, there's no need for that. You serve them. You serve them. But we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answer. They were only looking at what they had. And they forgot who they were with. <laughs> that happens to us a lot. We only look at what we have. And we forget who we're with. Remember our position? We're in Christ. so easy to look at what we have. so easy to look at our lack, if you would. I only have this much. How can I make a difference? And that can be with anything. I've made a mess out of my life. How can God use me? And we just see the lack. But come on, you all. We've got to remember the one in whom we're with. Bring them here, he said. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. And then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000. 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children you all. That's beautiful. Give your lack to Jesus and let him bless it. Let him turn it around for good. And you realize he turned it around not so much for the disciples but he turned it all around for the good so that others will be served. And that's what he does in our lives. He doesn't move in our lives just to bless you, bless you, bless you. No, he blesses you so that you will bless others. 
The Christian life is not all about me, myself, and I. Do for me, God. Do for me, God. Make my life better, God. Make my life better, God. No, that's not your intent. That's not his purpose. His purpose is to bless you and to keep you and to sustain you and to provide for you. And in that, you are to then give to others. And we've been saying that a lot here. As you receive, freely give. As you receive from him, freely give. Don't hoard it up for yourself. Because you're becoming more like Christ. Christ-like. Freely give. Everyone was fed that day. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. And that's where I was saying earlier about just having discernment, knowing when to pull away, when is the right time. It was time now. Jesus sent his disciples on. He sent the people away. And now he's alone praying. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble. Far away from the land. For a strong wind had risen. And they were fighting heavy waves. Wow. I could only imagine what Jesus was praying when he was alone. Because Jesus sent his disciples out. And he knew what they were going to face. They're alone. They're far away from Jesus. <coughs> they are alone. And a hurricane force wind came up against them. The waves were treacherous. It was a horrible scene. And they're alone. Remember what I said earlier? Don't look at your circumstances. Look at the one in whom you called God. Lord of all. These guys were following Jesus. They should have had faith enough to say that they, if he sent us out here, he'll get us through this. Same with us. So many times we see the storm, we see the circumstances, we see everything bigger than our God. And they're struggling in the midst of it. And it says here, about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. Hallelujah. <laughs> when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once, Don't be afraid. He said, Take courage, I am here. God, if that doesn't excite you all. They were in the midst of a horrible situation. Even when they looked out and they saw Jesus coming towards them, they, they cried out something different. They didn't know who it was. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Take courage. I'm here. I'm here. I've got this. And I think we need to hear that today in our lives. 
no matter what we're facing, to hear Jesus say, take courage, I am here. Get your eyes off everything that is beating you down and look at me. When I was in that tube the other day, this verse came to my heart and my mind. I'm here. Take courage. I'm here. No matter what the outcome is, I'm here. And the same thing goes for each of us. We're all facing different things. We're all facing different challenges. But Jesus says, don't be afraid. Take courage. I'm here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Wow. God give us the faith like Peter. God call me out and will give me the strength to walk upon the water. God, give me strength to walk upon that which is beating up against me. I want it underneath my feet. God, give me strength to endure. Call me out on it. Let me walk above it. Jesus called him out and Peter went. Peter was walking on water, you all. He was walking upon that which was beating up against him. And when he took his eyes off Jesus, and he realized what he was doing, wait a minute, I'm out here, on top of the water, standing on it, as the wind is beating up against me. And he begins to sink. Same thing happens with us. In the midst of our circumstances of life, in the midst of life beating us down, God gives us the strength to come out, to walk upon it, to get the, get the circumstance underneath our feet. But then all of a sudden, the bills can't be paid. The sickness hits you. Relationships begin to crumble. Life begins to whirl, whirlwind around you. You lose your job. Things aren't going right. And before you know it, it's no longer under your feet. You're sinking in it. In despair. The unknown. But may we be reminded of today's lesson. Do as Peter did. As he begins to sink. It says here, but when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And I love the next verse. Jesus immediately 
reached out and grabbed him. As I was struggling getting into that MRI tube, the depths of me inside was crying out, Save me, Lord. I'm dying. I don't want to endure this. I don't want to go through this. And this verse came to my mind. Immediately, Jesus reached out and pulled him up from the waters. Immediately, Jesus came and comforted me and calmed me. Immediately, he reaches out to you. If you would just call upon him. Save me from death. Because whenever we choose to go our way or to allow our circumstance to overtake us, that's what's happening. We're dying. God save us from death. And notice Jesus didn't wait. Let Peter struggle a little longer. No, he reached down and he pulled him up. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. And beautiful. And I've always, as I've taught on this before, and as I've studied the scriptures before, it always amazes me. We don't know how Peter got back in the boat. We don't know if he walked on the water with Jesus back to the boat. Or we don't know if Jesus carried Peter back to the boat. But what we do know is Peter got back in that boat. Let us be like Peter. Let us not be like the rest of the disciples who stayed in the boat. Let us be like Peter. Call us out, God. And if we sink... Save us and get us back. But a great miracle that we don't know. And again, as I said earlier, it's interesting that Jesus sent his disciples on. He went to pray. I can only imagine when he was praying. Praying for their faith. Father, I know what's before them. He knows all. He knew what those disciples were going to be up against. He allowed them to endure it. But he showed up to you all. And that's the comfort that we can take from this. And in that, may we learn to worship our God, you all. Don't let the times of worship just be like, oh, okay, it's just music, it's just words. And just don't think worship is just music and words. Worship is a lifestyle. Honoring God with your life, with your bodies, but worshiping Him, exalting His name, lifting up holy hands, humbly bowing down, worshiping, worshiping. Let that be cultivated in your life. You think upon His goodness and you proclaim it out of your mouth. I mean, these guys, 
You really are the Son of God. And then it says here, after they had crossed the lake, they landed in Gershon, where the people recognized Jesus. The news of his arrival spread quickly throughout the whole area, and soon people were bringing all their sick to be healed. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. Praise be to God. He is our great physician. He is our healer. Body, soul, and spirit, and mind. He is our wholeness. He is our deliverer. He is our healer. May we find comfort in these words today. Go to Psalm 18, verses 37 through 50. Verse 37, I chased my enemies and caught them. I did not stop until they were conquered. I struck them down so they could not get up. They fell beneath my feet. You have armed me with strength for the battle. You have subdued my enemies under my feet. Again, I love this picture because it kind of ties in with the picture that was painted, at least for me when I was reading in Matthew, where the water was underneath his feet. Where the circumstances of life, that's where it's to be. The things that come should be underneath our feet. It's a beautiful picture of victory. When you have your foot on the enemy's neck. You're defeated. We have the victory in Christ. And what a beautiful picture we see here again. I struck them down so they could not get up. They fell beneath my feet. You have armed me with strength for the battle. You have subdued my enemies under my feet. Remember in Ephesians 6, we know that we wrestle not with flesh and blood. Other people are not our problems. The lost, the sinners are not our problem. The church is not supposed to hate the lost. No, the church is supposed to have compassion on them because we once were lost. We recognize the battle is with rulers and authorities and in the air and in the darkness. We understand Satan and his kingdom of demons. And so it's best that we're not per being perverted by them or given in to the flesh or to the enticement of the world. We better learn how to stand strong. And the only ways to allow him to prepare us for battle, the Holy Spirit will teach us guide us and groom us for our day-to-day -day interaction with our flesh, with the world, and with the enemy. That's how we gain the victory. That's how we gain the ground. Living like Christians. But if all we're doing is just saying we're Christians and not living it, then we're only fooling ourselves. The devil don't mind you coming to church. What he minds is when you start living it. And believing what you're hearing about Jesus. Remember the main people that Jesus had to deal with? That he called the children of Satan? It was the men in the church at that time. Teaching people a false gospel. Not teaching them truly things about God. But just allowing them to hold a form of religion. Looking holy. 
but just filled with such darkness. And then Jesus shows up, God himself, and they want him dead. Don't expect people of the world who are enslaved to their passions and desires to embrace you as a Christian. I mean, for God's sakes, our brothers and sisters across the world are being killed for our faith. In our very own nation, truly being a Christian, our rights are being stripped from us more and more. And as we heard on Friday night, I can't get those words out of my ears where this main theologian was speaking and basically telling the church, well, if you're going to make it up in the next coming generation, you've got to water the gospel down, basically, in order to be accepted. Listen, our goal is not to be accepted by the world. Our goal is to go proclaim the gospel. And then we had an atheist that we heard about on Friday. A man, the majority of his life, tried to prove that there is no God, goes to Africa and begins to see the lives of men and women who are Christian changed. And he himself couldn't doubt what God was doing among these people. Don't take their God from them. Is basically what he was saying. Let them continue to grow as Christians because they're becoming better people all because of Christ listen to this psalmist you armed me with strength for the battle you have subdued my enemies under my feet you placed my foot on their necks I have destroyed all who hated me They called for help, but no one came to the rescue. They even cried to the Lord, but he refused to answer. I ground them as fine as dust in the wind. I swept them into the gutter like dirt. You gave me victory over my accusers. You appointed me ruler over nations. People I don't even know serve me. As soon as they hear of me, they submit. Foreign nations cringe before me. They all lose their courage and come trembling from their strongholds. Sounds like Jesus to me. Huh. Our victorious one. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. The Lord lives. Praise to my rock. May the God of my salvation be exalted. He is the God who pays back those who harm me. He subdues the nations under me. He rescues me from my enemies. You hold me safe beyond the reach of my enemies. You save me from violent opponents. For this, O Lord, I will praise you among the nations. I will sing praises to your name. You give great victories to your king. You show unfailing love to your anointed to David and all of his descendants forever. Give thanks to the Lord, you all, for he is good, for his love endures forever. Let's close in Proverbs. Get some wisdom in closing. Proverbs 4, verse 11 through 13. 
Proverbs 4, verses 11 through 13. I will teach you wisdom's ways and lead you in straight paths. When you walk, you won't be held back. When you run, you won't stumble. Listen to this. Take hold of my instructions. Don't let them go. Guard them, for they are the key of life. Take hold of my instructions. Don't let them go, you all. Like we should be meditating on his word day and night. Remember how he changes us? He transforms us by changing the way we think. Like this is the way of life, you all. Isn't it crazy? Like when you really think about it. Like this, the word of God, has been trying throughout the years to take it away from people. And yet, these are the words of life. There's such hostility towards the Bible. There's such hostility towards Jesus. There's such hostility in living right. Can we wake up? Can we, can we all just take a moment and, and really just open our eyes and our minds and our ears for a second and hear what I'm saying? Does it make sense that when people live right, people hate it? That when you think of Jesus, the greatest servant of all, who laid his life down for his followers, he's hated. For what reason? Because he, do, he does what is right. This book is hated. People don't even want to read it. People open up and they get tired. Ooh, just, but they can watch a three-hour movie. They can read other thick books. But you open up the Bible and it's like, oh, no, this makes sense. Do you not realize the, 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 that, that which is fighting against us? Do you not realize Satan and his dominion and evil want nothing to do with light? And goodness and people doing what is right living what is right like we better wake up you all we got a generation of youth who are so confused you've got people in our nation that have never gone to church never heard of God's word, haven't really seen Christians live it out. But do you understand the warfare that's taken place to keep people ignorant? See, your flesh only knows how to do one thing and that's to die. And that's why it'll continue to drag you and have you make decisions that are going against your very self. Does that make sense? But it feels good, it's popular, it looks right, but you're being deceived. Like it's killing you. And it's not just killing you, but it's killing others that you are taking with you. So why would we keep going down the dark path that leads to death, to destruction, to ultimately God's wrath? Just for a moment of satisfaction on this temporal earth. When God all along is saying, I love you, come this way. Let me show you how to live. Let me give you all of me. Why would we hold up a stiff arm to him and say, no, 
You're not God. I'm going to do me. Why would we continue to be enticed by the ways of the world, trying to have the world to define us, when we know that ultimately this world is bound for destruction? So what? That these entertainers and these politicians and these people of power, the news media, try to distort everything and to lure us to become like something that even in themselves, they're not. Because they're actually no different than us. We've got to be careful, y'all. We've got to wake up. Why would we allow Satan himself and the demons of hell to control us and give ourselves to him when we know ultimately his destruction why would we choose to turn away from his wisdom? Did we he not hear what it said there? Take hold of my instructions. Don't let them go. Guard them. For they are the key to life. That's why Jesus came, y'all. That's why we do what we do. I'm not here to, to teach anything that to puff, to puff you up. I'm not here to promise you that your life is going to prosper and everything is going to be perfect. Because even if you do prosper materially, it's not for you. You're to give it away. That's Christianity. That's the truth of God's word. We're here to serve. So who are you serving out there? Who are you loving? Who are you sharing the good news with? Who are you saying, no, I'm not going that way with you. Let me show you this way to come with me. Come to the way of life. Life eternal. Life everlasting. Because that's the only hope we have in a darkened world. Amen? I'm going to close this with this last song. And I'm going to close this in prayer.